0: The main draw of coming over here is that, like, I'm still young, like, I'm 26, and I just had the chance to... Coping mechanisms can broadly be broken down into one category that she called DRIVE, and one category that she called SOON. To, yeah, to, for there to be a focus on health literacy so that people understand what, what some of these terms mean, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Darryl Friars first thing I have here is disclaimer because we did discuss this mm-hmm. about how you are a doctor but we cannot take this as gospel yeah no I'm a I'm a
0: junior doctor so
1: yeah give us your credentials there while we're here my credentials
0: well uh, I yeah so I guess I my credentials professionally I'm, I'm working as a doctor it's my second year qualified now yeah. ne- nearly my third year uh, and I'm working as a psychiatry
1: registrar here in Perth Nice. I suppose we we'll go through the process of becoming a doctor. So when you say mm-hmm. your second year, it sounds like, oh, I'm just in my second year. Yeah. You've got seven done already? Well, in terms of college? Yeah, just, college, yeah. Yeah,
0: so it's a six-year college Six course. Six years. Yeah. Um, so I was in UCD. That's how we know each other, yeah. more or less, because... To Stephen's girlfriend, cleaner was in college. Shout out to clean up yeah, the sure clean it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because him all the regular listeners, not all the cleaner. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was in I was in medicine in UCD, um, in Dublin, uh, that was a six year course. Um, I guess yeah, studying medicine it starts off very kind of like basic, General, yeah, um, like theoretical stuff, which um is probably it's hard sometimes when you're working to see exactly how that links up to. And do you think it eventually or? does? Oh, like definitely. Like in terms of like, if you were to truly really try and do like a deep dive and really understand, um, like the like medical practice at its at its core, core scientific basis. And yes, right. it yes it's relevant. But like you yeah. know, like you kind of go to work and you're making decisions more so just on the like on the for yeah. off the cover. You know, on the hoof. I know um, exactly where
1: it come from in terms of teaching. Like we did. I suppose the same thing, theory of teaching mm. and you're we were just on about um Freud and we'd be on about John Dewey and all that and like yeah. the core of teaching. Like but when I'm in a classroom there with a kid and he's, you know, like not doing his work or something. I'm not thinking of John Dewey yeah. and stuff like that. So I suppose you do get a small bit detached when you're in. Yeah, well you sort of
0: yeah, it's more kind of just like experiential learning versus theoretical learning, isn't it? So yeah, that was it. Six years the first I guess three and a half years is mostly theoretical, kind of building up to become slightly more clinically relevant um as those three and a half years progress. And then the second three and a half years you're doing placement in the hospital. So that's kind of like what people might be used to see if
1: they ever were in hospital seeing um student doctors floating around. Um Savage. Yeah. Um we'll go on to after a while, let's say your intern year and mm-hmm. what like four sections you did and then what you went on to yeah, cool. what you were now but becoming a doctor like why did what was the first what was the reason as to why you became a doctor was it influenced by family your own idea of helping people or where did that come from a few things I suppose it was probably always my radar a little bit
0: maybe a few family members and things like that but uh, I think ultimately it probably was kind of a desire to do something that involved working with people a lot um, and something that involved trying to help people uh, and I always was quite interested in, like, even just from from a young age, pretty interested in, like, I guess, even kind of just feelings. Um, I, I apparently, according to my mum, I was always pretty in touch with my feelings, uh, even as a as a little kid. And I think that probably led on to naturally being interested in like mental health and things like that. So even going into even going into medicine, I was mostly interested in doing psychiatry. I think yeah. uh, I would have considered doing psychology a little bit before going into. University as well, that they were kind of both on my radar when I was doing the leaving. That's kind of um, lucky
1: because I know a lot of people are even now doctors and they still don't know what kind of speciality they want mm-hmm. to go into. So that's kind of a, yeah. a bit of a, um, a it, head start. It is and it isn't, I suppose. Like, I think,
0: yeah, it probably is good to, to kind of have decided on, on what I want to do and it allows me to maybe focus a bit more. And I think sometimes in work too, like when you're working with people who are, like already qualified specialists in that area if they can see you're interested in it maybe they'll bring a bit more enthusiasm for you so that can make work a bit more rewarding but on the flip side I guess um, it's probably also good to make your decisions about about um, your career based on your experiences in that job so in some ways maybe for me going into starting work as a doctor and already knowing this is definitely what, what I want to do maybe that could have led to me being a little bit more shut off yeah
1: so, pros and cons. I suppose that kind of comes into, let's say, your intern year. Mm. So you would, I would just thought as you were saying that. Well, let's say you're doing cardiology or whatever, you're like, oh well, if it's a bad day, I don't want to do this anyways. So mm. what? What four did you do? I yeah. think it's four, isn't it? Yeah, it's four. So yeah, that's so.
0: That, yeah, after the like six years of med school and you qualified, and in Ireland you do an internship year and you do four different rotations uh, as an intern. So everyone has to do at least one medical rotation. And one surgical rotation and um, i think people generally know the difference between them but maybe not necessarily so like surgical is like any specialty that involves cutting people open in a big way i suppose you know whereas um medical is mostly focused on using drugs to treat stuff but sometimes they might do small interventions like for example it's actually say if someone ever went for like a scope which is like a, you know when they put the camera down your then your esophagus into your tummy, that actually is often done by a medical team. Right. Whereas, say, if you were going to actually get, like, your tummy cut open, for example, that would be by a surgeon. Oh, so yeah. everyone has to do at least... um
1: Two of each, you said, is it? At least one of each. Oh, one Most of each. Most people end
0: up doing two of each. What yeah. I did, what I did, I started off uh, actually working in slow, uh, which was a... Very luxurious. Yeah. And a nice place to start working, a small hospital. I did uh, general surgery to begin, So that's mostly kind of abdominal stuff, appendicitis, um... And gallbladders and all that kind of crack. And uh, that was three months. And uh, then I did respiratory medicine, and that was like mid second big wave of COVID. So that was actually kind of intense uh, at times. Yeah, uh, there was like definitely we seeing some of the severe end of it, and, like people dying and stuff, which was a, uh, which was weird. Yeah, you know? a different yeah.
1: aspect where people be like ah, oh, it's fake and it's all yeah. Exactly. When you see it on or the or even just, like
0: compared to like you know being a young person, like a especially as the pandemic like raged on, I guess. Everyone was getting so fed up with... Even people who weren't, like, so extreme must be saying, oh, it's fake and yeah. stuff. But, like, people were getting a little bit fed up with restrictions and all that, um, very understandably. But, yeah, I guess being in work and being on the rest team and, like, working, seeing patients in ICU who were super sick with it, and some of them dying, some of them young, Um, definitely kind of brought it home. So that was my second rotation of intern year. Third one was... um. When I moved to Galway, and um, I did psychiatry there for three months, which I really enjoyed, um, and then have stayed doing that, and then my final rotation of intern two was geriatrics, working with old people, and nice. um, yeah, I really liked that area too.
1: Did any of them nearly change your mind, or did the when you did the psychiatry, did it, it kind of confirm that this is definitely what you want I to do? I think the geriatrics one would have would have tempted me a little bit. Um, it's funny too, like I think
0: psychiatry compared to medicine or surgery. It moves at a a different pace. Mm. Um, Like, you know, say if someone comes in with a surgical problem, often it's like they come in, they're acutely unwell, they need to get up to the operating theatre, get sorted on antibiotics for a day or two, then get home. Whereas if someone comes into hospital with like a, you know, a relapse of a mental illness condition... Um, yeah. so they might need to stay in hospital for a few weeks and then even when they go home that's only the first part of their recovery finished and you know it's, it's more of a, a slow process so and it it's,
1: probably it's can be a small bit different like let's say when you're thinking of the surgery again you're thinking like right, they come in with A and you do B and then C where is it different with mental health where everyone is totally individual or is there still a concrete structure into what you do the steps mm-hmm. you take
0: I think, I think um, yes and no um, and some of that probably comes down almost to thinking about like what's mental health and what's mental illness and kind of like what's psychiatry versus what's maybe like you know a broader church of like mental health. So in relation to more severe kind of mental illnesses, I suppose things like major depression, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, those kinds of uh, conditions, I guess they generally work work well within like a medical model and is quite. Like strong evidence for what kinds of treatments work and what kinds of treatments patients really need for those conditions, um, and obviously different people respond better or worse to different ones of the drugs. But broadly, it's kind of like usually for those three conditions in particular, anyway, that I mentioned. There's uh, an essential level of medication in managing those people and particular types of medication for um, for each of them, I yeah. suppose. But then say maybe um, in terms of addressing someone's mental health presentation i guess um there's kind of like a psychological layer to things too or say if someone say someone might have presented with like low mood or anxiety but it's maybe outside of the context of like a major depressive illness maybe it's like more of what we might call like an adjustment disorder if someone comes into hospital with like low mood but say it's within two or three months of like some major stressor like getting a divorce their business collapses something huge like that then I guess in those cases like medication may play a role but it's less central and um, you know probably like psychotherapeutic or psychological yeah. support would really come into its own there and yeah even just I guess
1: supportively giving the person some time as well literally yeah. um, without getting too technical and giving advice mm. give a bit of background around psychotherapy because I've heard a lot about it Mm. um, and how beneficial it can be well yeah so psychotherapy
0: isn't something that I would think of myself in any way as as like an expert about but I guess in terms of kind of like loosely what it is um, so I guess it's like a a usually talking based intervention um, with the aim I suppose to help people understand themselves and their feelings better right and then i guess psychotherapy is is useful in the context of some mental illnesses and some people who are having mental health problems but sometimes other people might be interested in accessing psychotherapy even more just for like i guess mental health improvement or yeah so it would probably example. be
1: like what people think um yeah. counseling is like talking through. I think I think so I think psychotherapy is like a, a big broad term. And yeah. Like, okay. I, I could be getting some of this wrong. To be honest, but I like my
0: understanding would be the psychotherapy is a big broad term and counselling is probably okay. One part of that umbrella. Yeah, and then people will have heard of other like modalities of psychotherapy or other types of psychotherapy, and that could include things like. Like CBT or oh, yeah. like which is cognitive behavioural therapy or DBT which is dialectical behavioural therapy. What's the
1: difference between them two? Because I've heard the cognitive yeah. what's, di- what's the second one? Um so they're they're quite different. Okay. Probably, maybe could get a bit technical going into the difference between them. Um
0: but yeah, so C B T is cognitive behavioural therapy, therapy um a type of therapy probably focused based on helping people understand the links between their thinking, their feeling and their behaviours. Right. And then um, by understanding that better, being able to, uh, I suppose, modify each to an extent so that they can modulate or change the other and mm-hmm. ultimately have the goal, I guess, of feeling better or being less bothered by certain types of symptoms. Uh, DBT is a different type of um, therapy which has aspects of CBT involved with it, um, but also has, like, a lot of, I guess, skills based training um, which focuses on helping people with emotional regulation um, and also incorporates kind of um, mindfulness some of which are actually originally even taken from like zen buddhism which is interesting i only learned that recently Um, and yeah people who would benefit from dpt or maybe people who struggle with like emotional regulation as a major issue Right, that makes
1: sense. Yeah, sorry, I said I wouldn't get too t- yeah. technical. We've <laughs> already yeah, got into it. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm interested in
0: talking about this stuff, but I guess my my hang up about talking about it on a podcast is yeah. that I'm aware of my own juniorness in mm-hmm. this whole field, so I'd be reluctant
1: to give advice or give, give advice concrete or even advice. I'd just like to
0: maybe like give out information. Yeah, like I, could, I could, as I said, since I'm I'm like new to this field, I could say things yeah. incorrect. And if people were, um, they could say things which are incorrect. Yeah. And if people are, you know, potentially thinking about accessing any of these services or maybe need any of these services, I'd I'd really not
1: want to give them the wrong info. Exactly. And I suppose that leads on to a question I was Mm. was going to ask you about, let's say, information. And the struggle with information now, and not the struggle with accessing it, but the struggle with the amount of it Mm. and how easily people can access it now. So they look up Whatever, uh, cognitive behavioural therapy on Google and they read the first article and then they know this is exactly or they think they know this is exactly what it is yeah is that something I don't know you talk about in college or let's say in uh, professional developments about the fear of how to maybe even try and communicate that to people that information online is not to be gospel mm. I mentioned chat GPT like how that can be now maybe a, a factor in people getting information and taking that as gospel because they think AI is smarter is that something that is like prominent or mm. people are aware of in the medical community well you
0: mentioned it discussed in college Like, I, I think that like the whole kind of information age that we're entering or that we're in now really I suppose like it's by its nature, it's something that moves so quickly and the amount know, of information available and the prominence of the internet is just growing and growing and growing at such a crazy rate. That I don't know if like if our university course necessarily fully could have mm, comprehended. That. That. <laughs> I, I think even due to how fast things change, things have even changed in the two years that I've been out. That's like true. you mentioned, like chat GPT, none of us, well not none of us, but pretty much none of us really yeah. had heard of that two years ago. Um so is it was it talked about in college? I think maybe the whole concept of like, oh you're gonna meet patients who have looked stuff up online, like I'm sure that that wasn't even discussed in college, but the idea of like it wouldn't have been the central focus of what yeah. we're learning. How um, do you how
1: do you communicate that so when you have a patient there and they are defiant, they're saying, No, I say I looked up and this is the way you should do it and you're doing it wrong? Or let's say someone says COVID's not real, I'm not getting a vaccine, probably won't go into vaccines, but, like, how does that make you feel? How do you deal with it? How, especially when you talk about, let's say you're in the hospital and you see people that are sick, does that anger you, let's say, as a doctor, when you see the community picking stuff up on Facebook, and they're running with it, and now you've to deal with them in a hospital, and... Yeah, well, I
0: suppose the thing with, the thing with like... Anything, to even to bring it back to the first question, I the thing with anything online, I guess is just kind of like trying to know your sources and what yeah. you can and can't trust. Um, and I think that probably is kind of what you'd try to relay back to people if you were ever talking to them about things they've read online. Just trying to, you know, make sure they remember if you're giving them if you're giving them information on a diagnosis or if you know they're receiving a diagnosis. Often, I think these days you would hear your doctor is kind of putting in the caveat like if you are looking this up online like just be aware that you might see certain things that look scary but like I'll try and give you the information in a more digestible way now um
1: and so does that kind of answer
0: what you just yeah, asked or yeah. was this, I feel like I was I was gonna say uh, yeah, when I it,
1: rambled on there but yeah I, I does it sorry let's oh, say in I I was gonna go said, I on was gonna say.
0: so I guess in, like you, you had kind of mentioned or like do you meet people who are saying I'm not getting this because I already in Facebook yeah. that like what what should kind of I guess underscore like medical practice and healthcare practice generally in, in the healthcare system is that insofar as possible interventions should be evidence based so that's kind of what we what we work off like yeah. it's not as if that we're like pro or anti any type of treatment but it's more just that like if if there's not evidence to support something and um, you're not, then using it's not something that like as a member of the healthcare community you're going to necessarily be it's not something you're going to be advocating
1: for makes you know? sense though doesn't yeah. it well it doesn't it make same sense sense as anything like i don't um, know in terms of sport this no one's ever trained this way and it's never showed to be beneficial but i'm going to do it like it's, you're going to have people questioning mm-hmm. you because you're going to be looking for results you're going to look for evidence you're going to be looking for everything else And and I suppose
0: like people can always people are always entitled to make their own decisions about how they manage their health and how they manage their illness as well but like yeah in terms of the advice that we're giving out I guess if there is evidence that something works and evidence that it's the best treatment then that's what will be recommended if there's evidence that something else is harmful then people will have to know that I guess and I suppose also sometimes even if something that people want to try some new alternative treatment whatever it is if people are interested in going down that route and if they want to go down that route and not go down the evidence-based route I suppose there's also the responsibility to explain to that person that by not taking the evidence-based route and by trying to go down the alternative route you are exposing yourself to the risk of not taking something that we know at least works this well or X well, Mm -hmm. you know so yeah, that's it's,
1: it. They're they they have to reap the consequences. I suppose. I suppose so. Yeah, I suppose so. But yeah, I don't know. Um, as a doctor, I suppose kind of links in what we're talking about. But let's say, right, we talk about you becoming a doctor, and I suppose you have the you have the responsibility of I suppose even having that just title itself before you even stepping to mm-hmm. a hospital. What have you felt any difference, or have you ever been treated different, or People reacted when you said Dr. Fryers." Have you ever experienced that, um, let's say, change of. Mm,
0: Dr. Friars isn't one
1: that I use. No, I've never yeah. used it. Have you ever seen uh, people's idea or perception of you change? Uh, I definitely
0: think like there's a bit of an imposter syndrome
1: thing that probably
0: is, and it's probably not just doctors. I think anyone, maybe even you might experience experienced this as a teacher, like teachers are such authority figures as well in, in the community. And, like, when you first qualify and you step into that role, like, I think, yeah, the imposter syndrome can be real. You're kind of like, what? How is, I'm a charge to destiny? these kids, and I'm yeah, or like,
1: disseminating information to them. Yeah,
0: and especially, I guess, also, like, the term doctor is such a, a catch-all term. And, like you say, it carries a bit of weight in society, but in the context of, like, the actual, like, medical system, I suppose, like, when you step in there on day one as an intern, like, the public might call you a doctor and they might call a senior consultant a doctor but as it has, within the medical community you're so junior compared to everyone else so yeah, like they sort of like a that's like a funny juxtaposition or almost contradiction to exist so on the one hand you're like holy shit I know nothing compared to all these but you senior the title. people um, but then on the flip side like you actually do know, you do know lots you've qualified you're, you're actually probably well able to do your junior doctor role yeah. you know um, so yeah so
1: that's a funny thing to deal with when you first I've, I've, I've noticed it myself like let's say when I introduce and in, uh, you know I don't know, talk about her and they're mm. like oh what's your for doing like, oh she's a doctor and they're like oh Jesus alright I'm like okay and mm. not to say it's, I can't ever say this without sounding like jealous or something but like they're like oh Jesus mm. fair play to her I'm like you don't know her whatsoever yeah like like. I couldn't name anyone that's a doctor and they could be a terrible doctor or a terrible person but it carries this weight as if and I talked about it a good bit about job and work as if like when you're a doctor you are now great and fantastic and I honestly think that's why some people I've experienced in school I want to be a doctor and I'm like why Mm. I want to be a doctor because they want to get a title and that's the reason that they go into the, the, the area Um. And it's probably a bad reason to go in and I don't know. I've just seen that with a lot of kids and they're saying, I say, okay, how do you become a doctor? And they have no idea whatsoever. So I'd say it's it's probably a negative thing because people just want to be a doctor and not want to be a doctor for mm. the right reasons. Yeah, I think it's
0: funny though, like I think I've had these discussions with people a bit in the past and I think when like when you're eighteen years old it's it's really hard to know like what you want to do mm. and why you want to do it. And I think if I was to really deeply analyse The reasons that I chose this career I probably could find faults in it too Of but course yes. like, I'm kind of like pretty happy with the job yeah, and pretty happy with where I've landed Um. So yeah I, I definitely hear what you're saying And I agree that like Purely trying to chase like some sort of prestige Or something probably isn't a reason to To choose a career But there's all It's, it's also like Just cause and effect is, is strange sometimes And there's um Like there's There's so many reasons like so many of which are probably kind of subconscious as Definitely. well that we, and, and subconscious and also almost like external to us that we end up arriving at decisions and choosing career paths and sometimes Definitely. it's almost just like you know what you end up doing I guess it's how you approach it and and what your attitude towards it is and, yeah and even within each different career within medicine for example or I'm sure within teaching within various different professions there's different routes you can take and different ways that you can bring your strengths out and
1: Disclaimer: Kleena is a fantastic person and, and fantastic doctor and, and a fantastic cook. And, yeah. So and, yeah. they are right when they are impressed. And but great woman. Yeah, yeah. By <laughs> <all accounts. laughs> yeah. Okay, Whew. got out of that one. <laughs> but um, one thing I'm always fascinated with, and I suppose maybe it comes from Clea when she, you know, might come back from her stressful day and it kind of puts it in perspective for me I'm thinking oh jeez I'm wrecked today I had a bad day because a I fella I didn't do his homework and this is not to put anyone down that's not a doctor but you know she's had a bad day because maybe a patient might have passed away and it's just so I, I kind of take a step back and say no I have an easy job mm-hmm. how do you dissociate yourself from let's say maybe traumatic events that might happen in the hospital I think you I have think to be I a think, certain type of well, person to do that I think
0: I think kind of like that whole sort of like even you to say like, oh, I was trying to get a kid to do their homework, like versus someone dying. I don't know, like that's sort of like each the spaces that we step into with the job, though. So of course. Like, when you come into healthcare to work in that area, like it's, uh, I guess, a sad but realistic part of it that sometimes people will be sick. You'll be seeing really rough, like you know, um, experiences that mm-hmm. the people are going through, uh, and that's very important in its own way. But, like, for you, then, the example you gave, like, someone not doing their homework or someone not engaging in the classroom. But equally, that's the space that you're in and that's so important to society in its own way. Yeah. So I feel like... If everyone like thought th-
1: like that, no one would do any other job. You know, if, if someone says, I don't want to be a taxi because what someone else is doing something important, society would collapse. So, as you said, everyone has their own space mm. and are essential to that, Yeah, to exactly. have a, uh, to have a and, society. And I think,
0: sort of, like, you're... You go to your job and you're there doing your job. And at the end of the day, as much as some of the experiences might be a bit mad or a bit emotionally draining, like you're there to do your job. Mm. And like I said, some of these things are realities of doing that job. I think it's probably important just to be able to keep that perspective. Yeah. And then when you leave, you're kind of like, yeah, maybe like, damn, that was pretty heavy or that was pretty sad. But sort of like also not necessarily really surprising because yeah, because you're. I I'm would say you're aware. expecting that. but yeah, you're, you're aware, aware of the space. That's the kind of, I guess, like I
1: said, the space you're stepping into. If that's a good way to put it. And uh, I was gonna eventually get onto this, but would uh, some of your hobbies, improv, painting, would that be a way to step away to just get the mind away from it, or is that just something that you're totally interested? Yeah, well, well I think
0: definitely. Like, I think any, like any hobby or any interest people have, um, hopefully will serve to give them a degree of escapism from any stress whether yeah. it's work stress relationship stress whatever kind of you know troubles um yeah to me that would be an important important reason I guess to have hobbies and um, yeah so I don't know you, you you mentioned a couple of the things that I like to do um, <laughs> yeah I like to yeah so you mentioned the the improv acting that I was doing which is Something I've kind of Picked up again recently And that's really again, fun Again You
1: said you did it earlier Did you? Did you do it previously? So yeah Just I guess for
0: For context um,
1: Dara just, is the best improver Out there Not <laughs> true
0: But um, Yeah I just finished A Eight week Intro to improv course And um, And then we did a little show At the end Which Stephen Very nicely came to watch along so with a few other pals And um, It was really fun And then I'm starting To second course of it but I said picking it back up because when I was a kid and teenager I did speech and drama yeah. and like that would have incorporated a bit of improvised acting and I always just thought it was kind of a blast it was just funny like you know uh, and goofy and that's why I like it and I think that's a good example of um, of something that you can do which is total distraction total separation you can't think
1: of anything else when you're on let's say on the stage and you have to think of something yeah some and scene. just like
0: going up like on stage with some other person who you don't know from any from anything other than improv and going there and improvising a hilarious and absurd scene like that's kind of like the antithesis of maybe like the solemnity or seriousness of a stressful work environment so I guess that is a good example yeah it's of literally the,
1: the total opposite mm, of what you're used yeah, to yeah
0: you're just well, well maybe hopefully not hopefully not to make work the only what I'm used to though you know of course but yeah like it's the opposite of, of that stressful environment that I, I sometimes find myself in, I guess, you know. Um, so yeah, it's cool just to... That one's cool to goof around and mess around and be a bit of a kid. Um, yeah, and then I do other stuff so like exercising is great, like running or going to the gym gives you... Like you're very into it too, like gives you that kind of... Endorphins. Foods, and endorphins, the yeah. uh, runners high and all that jazz. Um and then I like I've been doing the drawing recently too. I always like drawing since yeah. the little like getting back into drawing
1: over here more recently too, and that's like a very peaceful one for me. Like yeah, yeah. I think yeah. You you talked about how hobbies just totally just you know detach you from I don't know any other stress. Like I can't think of what I'm going to do tomorrow right now. Or when we were painting there last week, or when you're painting, mm-hmm. it's very hard to think of other things in your mind. So I suppose. I don't know I always get a small bit worried about people that don't have hobbies because it gives you a lot of time to think Mm. uh, which might be a good thing so having something that can totally distract you is just like a breath of fresh air because
0: it's funny having hobbies though I think like I feel like when I was in school I definitely had hobbies like I played a load of rugby that was probably my main hobby I guess in school and I did a bit of drama and some other things I think when you have kids and teens often have hobbies because they're almost signed up to them by their Parents. parents or whatever but then like you know kind of maybe when you get into college or that like school even phase people starting work and stuff i think often like young people in their 20s don't really have hobbies it's more just like a hanging out phase and yep. spending a lot of time with your friends so it's been interesting for me like the last year or so almost being less, like no i actually want to choose a few hobbies and try and and you're and you're not doing it because
1: of particular people are doing it or following suit like mm. i know you signed up with your friend but it's not like oh, i have to do improv because everyone's doing improv and it's the in thing or i do paint because mm. it's the in thing and at the same time then you put yourself in situations that you wouldn't normally and you meet people that you wouldn't normally you know mm. totally different settings which yeah. I think is the best part I mentioned before how I was playing table tennis at home and playing table tennis with like 5, 60 or 70 year olds Yeah, it, and yeah. it's just a gas space
0: yeah it actually is that's cool I, I, I do agree that um, any kind of new experience I guess where you get the chance to hang out with people who are just like quite different to the group that you're normally with is, is interesting. Especially say, yeah, for like like we're kind of people in our twenties. Like if you go indecent and then you end up hanging out with a bunch of mums, dads, yeah. even you know, people in their in their seventies and eighties, that can be so interesting. And it's um yeah, it feels nice. It feels kind of like mature and adult Definitely. to be able to just like hang out and like relate to people of different ages and different stages yeah. and not feel some way like like you're bound to some sort of like authority dynamic like you know I think, I guess yeah as, a, as like a young adult a lot of our experiences today we were we're not even as adults right? Like, we're as like very young adults and like teenagers and stuff um where like you might associate like older people with like your grandparents, yeah. middle aged people with your parents and there's a clear, or like we're teachers and stuff like that without like a clear authority dynamic or even at this age maybe people older than you you might associate with your boss at work or something like that um, so it can be nice, I think, when you, when you go and do something and get to hang out with people who are different age or stage, and that's not at play. Yeah. You're just kind of two people and you can yeah learn stuff from them. Or, yeah, literally, and hear stories and yeah, perspectives.
1: Yeah. I heard, a, I don't know if it was a quote or a statistic mm. or some sort of recommendation, Where it was called the 33% rule where you should spend 33% of your time with younger people 33% of your time with people your own age and 33% of the time with older people. Mm. And I actually was assessing that a while ago and I was like, do you know what? I actually kind of do that. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, well, when yeah, I was teachers, teaching yeah, you're and then people your own myself. age and then I was looking at older people. This was, I was actually working on the public where's, time. Where's the time on
0: your
1: own? There though? That's true. I, I love that as well. That's, yeah, we'll, maybe we'll do, whatever, break it down, 30, 30, 30. 30. Um, and it does give you a totally different perspective on, on other people. So when you go into work, and you're looking at someone who's 50 or 60 and you're painting them with a brush being like, we've nothing in common. You're thinking, oh, I was playing table tennis with John and he was telling mm-hmm. me gas stories and you're kind of listening to him but you wouldn't listen to other people, I don't know, we could say parents or teachers or whatever because you just associate them with old and boring. Whereas yeah, absolutely. you like, usually yeah. get the best stories out of people that yeah, are no, older.
0: And, well, I also just think that like, it's, it just kind of comes back to realizing that maybe like a lot of the like maybe kind of like stories that we tell ourselves about people based on their age or something is probably more so just based on these like really simplified images that we had mm-hmm. from from growing up, you know. Literally. And then like when you get to be an adult, I suppose, you're kind of just like everyone's just a person, you know? Yeah, that's
1: my favourite mm-hmm. part about being oh, I don't like to call myself an adult, but I know I am. Um is being able to do your own thing and going different places being able to choose your own path that's Mm. not prepared for you that was usually in school maybe or as a young adult college that was like you have to do this and if you're going off the beaten track it's different Mm. not that I'd be doing it too much but at the same time it's enjoyable that you can find your own interests Mm. whether it is improv, painting whatever it is that you can go find it and find out what you really like and what you don't like and you're becoming more you you know more yourself and what you want to do rather than what you should be yeah. at that particular age or from that particular area or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. and I suppose the area we're in we'll get on to it we're in Perth currently yeah, we're recording yeah. in Perth and you obviously come over here in August so oh God, sorry six months ago I think it's, it's like said nine seven. is it nine months ago I think so Jesus yeah so, nine. so oh, you came in over August August it? yeah so that's nine months ago that's nine months ago Jesus because does it feel like nine months yeah um, I'd say it does, yeah. Yeah, I think like I've been here for a good while now, like yeah. And you settled in? How do you feel? Settled in, night but night? like I think,
0: um, like you're obviously aware, but many people listening yeah. won't be, like the the crazy amount of Irish healthcare workers in Perth. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, this is one of the few things I looked up before coming on, um, so. I think like, like i said there's a huge amount of, of irish doctors in particular come here and work and to, after finishing their intern year and like a statistic to kind of illustrate that was epic like, this is all i could find online i couldn't find like the overall stats but hopefully from, it was from, from a good resource it was, it, was, <laughs> it was from the bmj man the british Whew, medical journal here Germany. we go um so of ucc graduates like university college Cork graduates the year that i graduated from ucd uh, apparently they had something like get the numbers wrong now, but I think it was like seventy-seven grads um, from medicine, and sixty-one apparently are now working in Australia. That's amazing. So I'm not sure what that is as a percentage, but it's high. That is high. Um, And oh, what else? The other thing I saw was that um, the number of working visas given to Irish doctors by Australia, I think last year was the equivalent to. Fifty percent of the like graduating class of that year so it was something like you know 350 400 something along those lines and a high concentration of them are in Perth so the reason I guess that I mentioned all that is that even though I'm living in Perth I'm still surrounded by a lot of people who I know like a lot of people who I went to university with people who I would have known from I guess friends of friends and people who were in in different colleges through kind of medicine circles yeah so, yeah, on the one hand, I'm just about as far away from home as I could be, but on the other hand, I'm surrounded by a lot of the people who I yeah. spent
1: six years hanging out with an UCD, which is, I think, a good thing and a bad thing. I was just about to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, explain to us why that is. I know, um, let's say, you couldn't, or I, as, as I believe, couldn't go to, after your inter-year, go to Canada or America mm. as easy as... Australia and be a yeah. healthcare worker yeah so I
0: think a big part of the reason is like you say um you can come and work in Australia without having to do extra exams uh, same applies to New Zealand same applies to the UK uh but I think Australia and Western Australia in particular um they sort of seem to incentivise it a little bit more through offering probably better pay than either of those two places and I think that that might be kind of partially down to the fact that um the population in Western Australia seems to be growing faster than their own indigenous output of healthcare workers mm-hmm. so they're trying to attract people in by offering slightly higher pay at least in medicine I know from talking to some of my nursing friends and work actually that they're paying the nurses a bit less over here now than they used to but right. in, in medicine anyway um, they they pay pretty well so that's another big pull yeah. factor uh, and along with that there's a really good work-life balance over here that seems to be something from from what I can see that the Australian um Australian workers seem to kinda of pride themselves on a little bit or maybe pride themselves on is the wrong word, but they seem to value. I think yeah. that's that's really important because it's a you know, having a work life balance is an important part of You're probably health. gonna be more effective in work. Well yeah exactly. So you'll you'll work better in work and you'll not be stressed out of all the time yeah. you can go and I guess engage with those kinds of hobbies and yeah. hangouts and see your family see your family well, not family yeah, yeah. family not, fa- not family for me but for the people see your family see your friends see your partner whatever Is um, that
1: something in your job that uh, is is applied over here how um, you get a good work life balance Yeah yeah I think so like as
0: in um, it would it would mostly stick to like the kind of 40 hour working week occasionally a little bit more but like it's generally like
1: everyone's kind of like oh god like sorry that happened and work when you're doing overtime a bit of overtime yeah um, and uh, on the contrary in Ireland would that be kind of just kind of maybe not mandatory but kind of expected of that you're going to do more than 40 like let's say you're doing psychiatry now whenever you finish or whatever and you get into a particular area is that job going to be kind of a base 40 or
0: say if I was to work back in Ireland yeah I I can't actually really say for sure. Yeah. Um, I know like when I did my internship when I was working in psychiatry, my hours were were quite manageable. But then on some of the other jobs I did, um, it was busier. And say if you were doing kind of on call duties where you were, you know, covering the wards into the evening or something, sometimes that wouldn't have been factored into your forty hours. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. say you might have your nine to five rostered, but then you might be covering like a couple of the wards in the hospital from five until. Half eight or ten or something, and those hours wouldn't necessarily be factored into your into your 40 hours. Um I think like in my my internship that I had, I was kind of lucky and it was probably partially the way that I chose it. I was hoping to try and get a job that wouldn't be too overwhelming work-wise. Um, but definitely some of my friends back home in junior year worked, worked some pretty crazy so hours. Yeah. Would
1: that be the biggest benefit of moving over here or being a doctor over here apart from pay? What would work life balance or is there any other aspects of let's say I think
0: d- I think work life balance, I think pay, I think all those things are are big pull factors. But really for me, I think, you know, the main draw of coming over here is that like I'm still young, like I'm twenty-six and I guess have the chance to live somewhere new, it's a chance to kind of explore and see a new place and the cool added factor that I can do with a bunch of my good friends. So I'd say like like I can't say for sure but I'd I'd imagine even if the pay was a bit worse I'd still probably yeah. be pretty interested in this the opportunity I guess if the work-life balance was terrible and there was no scope to explore because I was in work all the time then maybe maybe that would be less cool but um, yeah I think for me the, the real draw of coming over here is just the chance to see somewhere new uh, to live somewhere new and I guess it can be a bit of a hub for travel to places outside of the architecture or cool places and places that I wouldn't have been taking yeah. weekend trips to or, or holidays to from Dublin. Yeah, that's for sure. Mm.
1: Um what is I gonna say? Oh yeah. So in terms of let's say moving over, what is apparently, let's say outside of the job, mm. what was and you mentioned before, like let's say obviously not seeing family, mm. is that one of the hardest parts? Is that the, is it what are the negative parts that and I suppose I'm only here two months now mm. so it's still only getting settled in after nine months what are the best parts about it, the country as a whole, and what are the worst parts?
0: Mm, we started off by asking about the worst parts, that's kind of what I started trying to think about. Yeah. I guess, um, like, there's, there hasn't been many big lows for me over here since the move, I don't think. But yeah, like, being away from family can be hard. Obviously, like, there's like the day to day missing people a bit. Um, but even, I suppose if like family members have any kind of health problems or stuff like that comes up it's it's moments like that where yeah I guess it feels sadder like times almost where you know it's not as if like me being at home would have made like a difference in terms of what would have happened of course it's more just, like, the, so could like the, the value of presence I suppose yeah there's been a couple times maybe two times that I can think of um, where there was like just like slightly hard things going on for my, my family I guess yeah. where I was kind of like oh I actually really would have just liked to
1: just be, be there with them for, yeah like the lower know. life balance and the money goes out the window at that stage doesn't yeah, it yeah or it's just kind of like it's not really what you're thinking about you know? yeah Yeah. Um,
0: and I also really miss my friends but uh, with my friends from like that's more my friends from school I suppose mm-hmm. and that kind of group um, but I guess most of them aren't even in Ireland right now. like The yeah, way it's worked out with, with it, my mates from school, there's only, there's like a group or whatever, number of us, but only two of them really are at home and people are scattered all over the place. So, I miss them, but yeah. they're not really at home right and, now. And at the
1: same time, you kind of know, but I think, you know, that it's going to be a, a short term, you get a visa for usually two years, mm-hmm. um, doctors and healthcare workers, usually two years, so... You kind of want to enjoy it while you're here because mm-hmm. you know that it's only a short time and, as you said, people are travelling and they're going to be back there eventually. So, as hard as it is, you can kind of zoom out and see yeah. it's going to be a very short time in my life.
0: That's true, yeah. And that's definitely, like, one one angle that I have. I try to not think about going home, though, while I'm here. Like like you say, it probably is loosely my plan to, to head back to um to Ireland and work there maybe train there at some point. I think it's the same for... A lot of the crowd here but I like to just keep that like sliver of opportunity that I can always decide to do whatever, whatever you want to do yeah. uh, even like my parents came and, um, and visited me a few weeks back or a few months back now I suppose and like my mom was leaving like a bit of a you know emotional goodbye or whatever but like one thing she said to me she was like you know if, if it turns out like that this is your life and this is where you want to stay then like obviously we're just happy for you to be happy and that was like, a sweet thing to hear from my parents yeah, just I suppose a in a way
1: um, not that that's what I'm planning right now but at least you you know that you could be open to it if and you didn't feel guilty about it Mm, yeah and like yeah I
0: guess it's cool to get that blessing or something and yeah I feel like I'd like to be almost giving myself the same blessing that if you know if I'm here or if I move somewhere else in Australia or if I end up landing somewhere totally different and that ends up feeling right or if there's a good opportunity that I want to explore more that I could always do that too, you know? Let's
1: say you did, right, in the morning. You decided, I'm staying in Australia. What is the training like over here? Can you still come... Same qualifications over here? Yeah, that's actually an
0: interesting thing too from the medicine point of view. Like, the training schemes in Australia are often a bit faster than the training
1: schemes at home. So could you possibly... And you're probably going to tell me more about hmm. it, but could you possibly get trained over here and go back to Ireland and have the same qualifications? Yeah, so,
0: like haven't looked in depth into this but like 90% plus sure that um, the qualifications are mostly rec- are recognised between Australia and Ireland so yeah I think if I, if I qualified here it would I could, I could work at home Um, I know like for psychiatry just from having looked into it a little bit the training scheme in Australia or in Western Australia anyway is five years whereas in Ireland it would be um, probably between six and eight years so, yeah, I guess, like, that, that could be seen as another benefit of staying here. Um, but for the moment, because my loose plan is to probably live in Ireland, work in Ireland long term, it feels like doing your formal training in, in Ireland, Ireland would yeah. make sense,
1: you know? Yeah, so you'd be up to knowledge and up to speed. Just kind but... of, like, yeah,
0: like, au fait with the system and all the rest. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I look not know. On the other side of it, the idea of coming away to train... And then coming back trained, sounds cool. I know some people who are interested in doing general practice are pretty interested in, in training in Australia because there's options to get fully trained with the GP here in two or three years. What's
1: it at home? Four. Four. Um, and it's still a relatively short time if you take, like, let's say... Could you, could you possibly... Okay, you're here nine months. Let's say you just landed in August and this is, I don't know, in January. Mm-hmm. You wanted to do the GP training scheme could you sign up for it now and then that your let's say what did you say four years was it three years the GP scheme you I think here. here is three or even so could you do, if you your do, your do tr- it orally
0: it might be two um, you could oh, do it actually, here straight away I don't, I don't know sorry. if you could do it straight away to be honest I think that you might have to have residency or something like that I'm not actually even Okay. but I know that like increasingly I have heard of Irish docs who've come over here and who have done training here so it's possible but I don't think you can necessarily rock in off the boat. And yes, and just say, sign up. And I'm doing my training scheme here. I'm
1: on the scheme. <laughs> um, I suppose that's where people get the idea of, like, it takes forever to become a doctor. Because we were talking about six years in college, two years in intern, yeah. and then you go into your training scheme. Yeah. But, but sure, like, it is different s- parts. Yeah, so. and, like when you're on
0: the scheme, like, you're working. And you're yeah, it's aged. not like you're in college still. Yeah.
1: You're still. You're still working as a doctor you're in yeah. training.
0: And, like, oftentimes, like like, you know, like a, a senior registrar, like one of the... Like like the second most senior doctor on on any individual team is still technically a quote unquote junior doctor. Yeah, yeah. So it's like yeah, it can probably sound a bit misleading or
1: something like that. Yeah, and I suppose you're always going to be training as a doctor. You're never going to be just saying right, this is it. Now I know everything because Every it's changing. <laughs> you said it at me. Um, we talked initially about how we don't want to give out or disseminate information like that is rock solid so in terms of like let's say your ideas on psychology or mental health when you become or go into that scheme do you have any ideas that you'd like to focus on that you think that you could bring to it anything like that or are you still learning all the time do you have any burning ideas regarding mm. psychology
0: regarding kind of like sort of like working as a psychiatrist yeah and yeah. um, oh Probably not really That would be like Super Meaningful And worth yeah, yeah. sharing Right now But I guess Just like My Like yeah Important things To me Even just as working In terms of working As a Like a Psych Junior reg now Or just working As a doctor Generally I guess just Yeah Just always feels Important to try And um, Treat the Patients like People to be, Yeah Be kind Be kind to Family members all that kind of stuff
1: because um, it is more than just telling someone or uh, let's say just in normal medicine, medicine and dealing with one patient um, you have to deal with how families are taking particular things how they're going to react so it's as you said it's a lot of communication mm. with people yeah just even like I don't know something
0: I think of too and we had like a pretty pretty good cool lecturer in college who would have said stuff like this to us as well that like you know like for like when you're doctor nurse physio whoever in the hospital that's your day in day out where you go to work and that's your like usual place to be and you see people and their patients and you're used to seeing patients all the time but for an actual patient like for the most part that's their big day in hospital that's like the one of the big days of the year that they'll look back on and they'll say holy shit do you remember i was in the ed and it was terrifying and sure thank god it worked out but it was such a scare that's their big day like so I think that's kind of it that's a good way of looking at it if
1: you it kind of on. look at their perspective yeah. that they and,
0: yeah exactly it's
1: yeah. easy to miss that because as mm-hmm. like you said you're on and you're a one patient take it, take it a little yeah. bit slower
0: yeah exactly and it's, it's like you probably can't be entering that headspace 100% all of the time 100%. because how could you ever get anything done then but that's just like definitely something
1: to check in with I think Yeah. Um, in terms of your own mental health mm. what routines what Advice again. That word, advice. What do you do? How do you manage it? Yeah, well, I guess
0: so many things like, um, like and even just like, this is one I suppose too where like the boundaries between mental health and physical health are like it's they're, totally they, they flow into that. each other, don't they? Um. So like, I guess there's a few different aspects. I I probably I definitely learned some stuff over the years like when I was younger having had some like harder times and like I went to some therapy sessions myself when I was when I was younger in college and stuff and definitely like picked up some some things through that I suppose Um, one like I guess good idea or important idea that I learned from that was something that I think comes from like I guess a type of therapy that was called kind of compassion focused therapy I think and that was looking at Learning about your coping mechanisms for stress, yeah, for dealing with hard stuff in life, um, and I remember just the person I saw they explained it really well to me that coping mechanisms can broadly be broken down into one category that she called drive, and one category that she called soothe, and the, the kind of drive ones are sort of like when you know maybe you're feeling anxious or you're feeling not great and you decide that you're going to channel your energy that feels bad into something you're going to kind of sublimate it and put it into going for a run or maybe like something like or even say let's say you're you're stressed out about a deadline so you actually say I'm going to pull an all lighter and just get it all done and you cope with that stress or that worry by doing something really active you know mm-hmm. doing something that makes stuff happen. Whereas like the soothe side of it is you can imagine the classic like duvet day, put on a movie, have a Ben and Jerry's or whatever it is for you. (laughs) Something that's kind of like almost totally taking the pressure off something soft, something easy. And I guess the idea here is that and probably something that I try to think about is that it's important to get a balance of both. Yeah, if you, like, like, if you go all drive, then you can burn yourself out. Like, we probably can all think of maybe times we've been like this, or people who you might know who are kind of like just running themselves into the ground, putting themselves under pressure. And um, like, their only way to chill out might be going and doing something so intense and maybe not taking any time off. But then on the flip side, if you see someone who's all soothed and they just only ever kind of sit on the couch, maybe take on attitudes which might almost lean towards feeling a little bit too sorry for themselves and that can end you up in a bit of a rut too so I think having that like that balance between both and, and
1: is that what they were trying to trying to educate you in to, to do this when you were going through stressful times to do both yeah I, have think a balance I, think, both. I think
0: to be both and maybe part of for me personally part of what was causing stress for me was possibly not having enough of that like softer more soothing okay. open styles like kind of maybe I guess without going into things too much like yeah. holding myself to a little bit too high standards yeah. and not sort of ever maybe taking enough time just to let myself off the hook a little bit and just have that like softer compassion yeah. for myself but then what what I like about the kind of drive thing is that like drive doesn't mean that you're being hard on yourself it's kind of like being um, being like a bit of tough love or a bit of like a like a, a i think fierce friend is the word that um i've heard using i can't remember the lady's name the woman who invented that overall type of therapy compassion focused therapy her name's kirsten something i it would be good if i could remember <laughs> it's okay forget i forget all the time um, but yeah like i know that i think she described like that like drive coping style as like your, your fierce friend like here your, you're being a friend to yourself but that friend who you know, tells you it tells you how yeah. you need to hear it, kind of. Right. You know, um, so yeah, I just like that idea of balancing drive and soothe. That's something that I keep in keep in the back of my mind, especially if I'm actively thinking about using coping you know, yeah. mechanisms
1: through stuff I might be going through. Yeah. Savage. So you're like categorizing right. This is going to be a soothing coping mechanism, mm. and it's going to be beneficial. Probably not that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sort. yeah. But just more like a, a bit of an awareness. Awareness. About.
0: Yeah. What else like? other mental health stuff I guess maybe because like I said I was getting a bit of a tendency possibly to be tapping too much into some of those like more more driven or slightly um, slightly tougher coping styles which if you do it too much it can end up being just being a bit hard on yourself Mm -hmm. and and maybe tipping away from like being a fierce friend to yourself maybe just being a bit of a bit of a nasty Guide yeah. you to yourself yeah. you know? so I feel like another thing that I keep in my mind um, in terms of just like checking my thoughts is that I try and say to myself that if I catch myself saying something to myself that I wouldn't say to my best mate then I shouldn't take it on board I should just kind of discount that thought I can let it sit there let it pass over and um, but, like, if if the if the thought or if the, the wording or the tone that the thought yeah. takes in my head, if it sounds a little bit too harsh to what I'd say to my own mate going
1: through a situation... You were listening to the podcast, were really? you? Then I should just suck it off. I said that quote it? on uh, Ryan's podcast. Oh, I heard okay. it on a different podcast, like, talk to yourself as you talk to your best friend. Oh, Actually, I don't think I got that far. <laughs>
0: it's very good that we're talking about the same stuff. Um,
1: but, yeah, no, that's, mm-hmm. I... I I remember hearing that the first time and I was like that makes sense because so often mm. you miss the gym and you say fuck's sake yeah, you like, know someone else is going to do the gym you're going to be fucking yeah, out of yeah. shit it's and like, crazy, like it is and w- would you as I said on the podcast if you missed we said it in the context of, of um, diet if you missed one meal I wouldn't come in and say fuck's sake Derek, you're a joke no, you know I'd like, yeah. well, don't worry and, about it
0: and if you did like hopefully I would think, and hopefully any of my good mates would be like, he's in Egypt. Yeah, What's exactly. Okay yeah, now? yeah. Or even like I don't know. Even I think like you mentioned the gym, you mentioned diet and stuff. Like even I think like body image is a place that you can really catch yourself with this kind of stuff. Um, like you know, there's a lot of I guess like kind of fat phobia, 100%. And like um, like I don't know, thin ideal, Instagram perfect body ideals oh. that float around in all of our psyches these days, I suppose. And yeah, I think that's one so area easy that. to you easily catch yourself and like if you catch yourself in the mirror and you're not 100% happy with how you look the the way that you can voice that to yourself internally can be so utterly harsh that you yep. would never say it to someone else no. you know so.
1: I found that myself that's one thing I've actually um, worked well on whereas before you know Instagram you'd be looking at or yeah. even if you're in the gym and you see someone who is absolutely massive and you're just like what the f- what's the point of me doing this I'll never be that big I found myself catching myself saying I'm healthy mm. I can um, I can go about my daily life whereas some other people can't I'm better than I was yesterday and it's been way better for my own mental health in terms of mm. body image because you're taking a totally different perspective that fella could have been training for 20 years Yeah, he could hate his body as well mm. you know what I mean whereas if you take a step back and zoom out and talk to yourself like your best mate you know, fair yeah. beta, You're you're in the gym. Exactly. You're That's it, isn't it? Like
0: even just thinking about these things, like thinking about like for me, I guess and it's probably also relevant to the overall question. Like even just thinking about stuff like going to the gym or going for a run or any kind of thing like that, you thinking of it as like sort of a health behavior or an enjoyable activity, which privilege is as well, aligned with what what you want to be doing with yeah. yourself and how you want to be taking care of yourself. And like you know, maybe ending up with big muscles or looking a certain way it's a a byproduct exactly and maybe you might enjoy that
1: yeah like if that's a goal if that's a goal good for you but it's
0: actually doesn't have to be what it's all about like you know definitely yeah definitely that i would like to try and think of things like that yeah. yeah
1: and it comes on to one of our final questions i suppose it can be relevant in young people as well like it's just instagram and i've 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 noticed it myself where um a lot of young people in terms of body image and how they view themselves and it's a lot of it is very negative mm. put it down to Instagram and so on and so forth um, is there anything again don't want to use the word advice recommendations that you'd like to see um, in terms of health and young people like it doesn't have to be body image it could be like would you um, have any ideas or any preferences like should young people be learning CPR what are the basic health Mm. health information that young people should have there's
0: so much like as in like that whole concept of like health literacy you know like uh, basically meaning I guess just an understanding of the general vocabulary that surrounds health that surrounds health care that surrounds um, medicine and disease I suppose I think it would be good for everyone uh, you know maybe when they're in school but I like whether it's in Ireland, the likes of mm-hmm. SBHE or health classes and that kind of stuff. To yeah, to for there to be a focus on health literacy so that people understand what some of these terms mean, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess from from personal perspective and even like my my own kind of work perspective too. I think like that definitely also applies around um, around mental health and mental illness too, and even just like. Yeah, that would be one example, I suppose. I
1: think there is a big drive, though, on young people understanding mental health and how to deal with yeah, it. Yeah, like, so in, this is an interesting
0: one for me and something that I think is um, maybe maybe doesn't quite get enough airtime time is um, just for people to understand the difference between mental health and mental illness. Because mm. um, there's so much talk about mental health these days and a lot of like... Um, a lot of like really positive stuff too like you know even conversations that we've been having the last little while has mostly been probably in the sphere of looking after yourself and supporting your mental well-being which is such an important thing for us all to to work on but is a quite different thing to maybe recognising and then dealing with like maybe the development of like a, a more severe mental health problem or like a mental illness um. So I think, I think that's kind of Maybe like a, a next piece Which is important for people to be To be more aware of Like even like you talked about Like stuff to do with Kind of body image Becoming a big problem for For young people um, Like you know in recent times There's been big increases In the amount of young people Presenting with eating disorders um, So even just I suppose Education around things like that Is
1: important you know Beautiful well, I've no doubt that in the years to come we'll have uh, a very productive and fantastic psychiatrist that will give loads to Australia and Ireland. Oh, so Maybe, we'll see, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so keep it on the radar. Dr. Friars does. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. Hopefully, <laughs> I've learned a bit. I'm hopefully hoping that uh, other people get yeah, a lot to benefit from this. I like the idea of... Um, you know, um, aggr- I wouldn't say aggressive, but motivated, and then relaxing and yeah, understanding. Yeah, mixing both. and
0: matching between those, and and realizing that too much of anything, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. You know, um, but yeah.
1: My guy, thank you very much for joining me, Dad no, And we'll thanks talk thanks again in the future when you're qualified. How about that? Yeah, that's a deal. Good. Yeah, no, thanks for Qualified, sorry, me. when you're you're training. Whatever it up. is, yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dad